Hello everyone, welcome back. Today we are going to be talking about the third and final act in Die Valkyrie, the second opera in the Ring Cycle by Richard Wagner. And as you probably heard from our intro music for this episode, we happen to start this act. That was the music that we hear right at the beginning of this act, the famous Ride of the Valkyries. Big long scene at the start of this act that is comprised entirely of this Valkyrie music, including the famous Ride of the Valkyries as Brynhilde and her eight sisters show up at uh, this mountaintop in the world of the gods with their, their fallen heroes that they've brought to defend Valhalla. So, really famous music to open this act, and let's get right to it. We might as well listen to a little bit of this. We can't play the whole... This goes on really for probably 10 minutes of music that we would know as Ride of the Valkyries, but let's listen to a little bit of it here just because it's, it's so famous, so well-known, and we'll keep in mind, as always, our... We'll keep our ear out for those those light motifs. So here's the opening right of the Valkyries. So there is the Ride of the Valkyries. We're probably all familiar with that. And if you remember, we, we already heard that Valkyrie motive earlier in the opera when Brunhilde was introduced, the one that goes... The main theme of this Ride of the Valkyries, that came when, when we first met Brunhilde. And in any case, so she flies to this mountaintop bringing Zieglinda, you might remember, from the end of Act 2. Zieglinda's uh, husband, or not not yet husband, but brother and lover and potentially soon-to-be husband, um, father of a child that she doesn't yet know that uh, she has. So related in every possible way you could imagine, but Zygmunt has been... Uh, killed by by Wotan, who who struck him down. Brunhilde was disobeying Wotan and trying to protect Zygmunt. Big saga, you'll remember, from the end of Act 2. And now Brunhilde has disobeyed the orders of her father, the head of the gods, Wotan. She was supposed to go and, and strike Zygmunt down herself, but Wotan had to come and do it instead because Brunhilde was so struck by Zygmunt's bravery. And so she escapes with Zieglinda and brings her to this mountaintop. All of her sisters are flying around with the heroes that they've brought. If you'll remember also from earlier, the Valkyries are these creatures that are the daughters of Wotan, the head of the gods, and Erda, the god of earth, nature, the god that we met in Das Rheingold, gave a very stark warning to Wotan. And they are tasked with finding... Uh, male 
heroes, dead heroes who are male to bring them up to the world of the gods and defend Valhalla. And so the fact that Brynhilda's brought a female is is a um, kind of a red flag already for Brynhilda's sisters. Not only that, but Zyglinda's not dead. She's still alive. But Brynhilda flies to the mountaintop, and that's why it's called Ride of the Valkyries. We hear all of her sisters arriving as well. And she begs her sisters to help her um, fend off the wrath of of Votan, who is hot in pursuit and very upset that he has been disobeyed. But the Valkyries all kind of chatter amongst each other excitedly, and it's it's a very uh, frenetic scene, and they um, sing a bunch of kind of babbling, triumphant words for a long time at the beginning of this act to the music of the Ride of the Valkyries. But then we get to the actual action plot movement uh, that we have in Act 3. And the first thing that I want to point to is Zieglinda, who starts to speak, and she really says, you know, she doesn't have the will to live anymore. Brunhilde has rescued her, but um, but Zygmunt is dead, and she loved Zygmunt so much, she just doesn't have the will to carry on. And I want to listen to that moment because Brunhilde, right at that moment when she she feels like she can't go on any longer, Brunhilde tells her that she is actually pregnant with a Velsung, which is the race that Zygmunt and Sigalinda both are. The implication being that she is carrying Zygmunt's child. Um, when that happened, I'm not exactly sure. But let's hear that moment when Brunhilde tells her, no, you, you must carry on. You're carrying the child of Zygmunt and, you know. The implication is that this child is going to have a very big role to play. So let's listen to that important moment early on in, in the first scene of Act 3. So no major leitmotifs of note there per se, but just an important moment in the plot where she figures out that she is carrying the baby that is soon to become Siegfried, the title character of our next opera. So the Valkyries are convinced Brunhilde's sisters and they want to save Zieglinda from Wotan's wrath. And so they decide to have her escape. And so they decide to have her kind of escape to this forest where she should go and hide. And when they're talking about this forest, I want to listen to a little bit of that music because there's a couple of key motifs that are going to be important for the next opera. So here is the the moment when they're talking about where Zieglinda should go off to and, and hide to have this this baby. Here's here's that moment just a few minutes later in the music. <laughs>
right, so a couple important things there. So they're saying, the Valkyries are saying, a forest wild spreads far to the east. The Nibelung's horde by Fafner thither was born. There as a dread dragon he dwelleth, and in a cave there guardeth he Alberic's ring. And so while they're saying that, we hear the, the notes that are sung to the, the words Alberic's ring are this. And if you'll remember, our ring motif is... So this is kind of a derivation of the ring motif. And then just a little bit later, we hear this. This kind of ascending, slithering motif that if you have a really keen ear back to Das Rheingold, you'll remember is the motif of the dragon or Fafner. We heard it first, this very slow, very ominous motif. So this is where Zieglinda is going to be flown off to and hidden. So in any case, we, we hear them describe that. And, and then I want to listen to an important moment of music just, just a little bit later, because uh, just a little bit later, Brunhilde says, For one thing know and hold it ever, the world's most glorious hero bears, O woman, thy sheltering womb. And so here we actually hear that uh, this is going to be, this is the first time we have confirmation that the, the baby that Zieglinda is carrying is going to be, in the words of Brunhilde, the world's most glorious hero. I'm not sure how she knows that exactly, but she, she does. And we hear an incredibly important motif at this moment. This is one of the most important moments in the entire ring cycle on this line for one thing know and hold it ever the world's most glorious hero bears and then i want to play this full clip it's a longer clip about a minute and a half because right after that Zeglinda also sings an incredibly important line she says oh radiant wonder glorious maid thou bringst me true one holiest balm for him who we loved i saved the beloved one may my thanks yet bring laughing reward Fare thou well, be blessed in Zieglinda's woe. So there's this idea that, you know, there's some sort of kind of transformation or redemption in Zieglinda carrying this baby over the fact that Zygmunt has died, but, you know, his spirit maybe lives on in the baby or something like that. But on this very important line as well, we're going to hear an incredibly important motif. So this is one of the most important one and a half minutes of music in the entire, you know, 19 hours of the ring. We get introduced to two of the most important leitmotifs in the entire cycle that play into very big and important broad themes in the work. And so it's really important to listen to this clip very carefully. So here is that clip when first Brunhilde sings, tells about the hero that Zieglinda is carrying, and then she sings about the kind of transformative quality of, of this, this hero.
All right, so massively important moment in the entire ring cycle there. Couple things. So first, Brynhilda sings about this hero that Zieglinda is carrying, and here's our first incredibly important motif that we hear for the first time here. It goes... It's a long one, but the, the head of the motif, the thing that we want to remember is this. That motif, that is going to be Siegfried's motif, the most important character or one of the two most important characters in the entire ring cycle. That's kind of a, a bold claim. I'd say one of the top three characters, but maybe the single most. He gets his own opera titled after him, the next one. So certainly an important character, and that is his motif. And then if you, you know, if you have good German um, ability to discern the German from this uh, ecstatic singing, the one word you may have caught was that word of Siegfried, which she sings. The music kind of gets quiet and she sings Siegfried. And on this line, she's actually, she has just given Zieglinda the broken shards of Zygmunt's sword to take with her. And remember, this sword was really, really important. This is what got pulled out of the tree. This is what was supposed to protect Zygmunt. This is what Wotan, in his wrath, shattered with his spear. And so she gives him the shards of Zygmunt's sword, which, of course, is going to be passed on to Siegfried. We hear the sword motif when she does that. Remember, our sword motif is this. And then, very important, this transformation motif when, you know, she says what his name will be. Somehow Brunhilde is tasked with naming him Siegfried, um, but Zieglinda doesn't seem to mind, and she's very moved, and she sings this motif that goes... That, you heard it when she comes in and sings right after this sword motif. One of the most important motifs in the whole cycle. This is this like kind of transformation motif. It's important to remember that it comes right here when she finds out that there is a cause for her to live. It's this hero, Siegfried, who's going to carry the spirit of Zygmunt on. We will hear this motif many times in key spots throughout the rest of the ring. So in any case, an important moment of music. So... That is the uh, first scene, and they cart off Zieglinda, take her to her hiding place in the forest, and Wotan is now showing up hot on the heels of Brynhilde. And let's just listen to a little bit of the music as Wotan shows up, because it's very epic. You can hear his wrath from a mile away as he's flying up on his, his own flying steed to come and confront uh, Brunhilda, who has just disobeyed him. So here's some of that epic Wrath Votan music as he's arriving.
so he's clearly pretty pissed off. He, uh, you can hear the anger in that music. He asks the other Valkyries where Brunhilde is. Um, and then in classic Wagner fashion, as we've seen before, Wotan kind of recounts the story of what Brunhilde did, what we had just seen. We hear a lot of that agitation motif from Wotan that we heard in earlier acts of Valkyrie. And there's this long kind of recitative-like section. Recitative was used in, it's a term that means kind of in, in opera that happened before Wagner, um, there would be recitatives, which were effectively like sung speech. And that's where the all the plot movement would happen, not much from the orchestra. And Wagner, if you remember, if you listen to the intro episode, he he kind of wanted to do away with the traditional forms in opera, including recitative, but he does have many sections like this that are kind of quasi-recitatives. They're descendant from the recitatives of Mozart and Italian opera composers and things like that. So long section where he recounts what, what happened. And Brunhilde asks what her punishment is going to be. And Wotan, very big decision from him. He decides she's going to be stripped of her Valkyrie status and he's going to make her instead a mortal. Valkyries, I guess, are immortal and she is going to be, you know, this is a common trope in in mythology. She's getting her immortal status stripped and that's her punishment. She's becoming immortal. And so let's listen to the moment of kind of, there's a long back and forth of, I'm sorry, are you going to do this? Are you not going to do this? Uh, He's mad. But let's listen to his final judgment moment in music when he says, this is what I've decided. You're going to be mortal and I don't want to see you again. So here's that, uh, that moment in the music. So he, he makes his final decision, you know, I, this is, I, you're being stripped of your status and I'm not going to see you again. We hear his spear motif, that descending scale, which is representative of his justice. And then at the end, you hear that kind of terror chord and all of Brynhilda's sisters screaming, uh, you know, whoa, how can you do this? Um, but... This is his his judgment. He is clearly very, very upset that his daughter disobeyed him. Clearly, this was more of a front than I imagine it would be in uh, most families in modern day society. One disobeyment in in the uh, from a kid, and you completely disown them. Not maybe the best parenting style, but nonetheless, Wotan's parenting style. And probably, to be honest, Wagner's parenting style, if I had to guess. So, in any case, we come to the end of scene two, and let's listen to a little bit of the end of this scene as well. More music that caps off this this feeling of Wotan's wrath and uh, some more epic music. And then we get this nice interlude after this, which we won't listen to, but we go into our final scene of act Three, But here's this orchestral interlude leading from scene two, this anger scene, to scene three, which we will find out what that is in just a minute.
right, so there we go. We've got kind of a Ride of the Valkyries style ending. We hear that Valkyrie motif several times, but it's it's also that terror music. So then we get a big long interlude that kind of changes the character of the the scene with the bass clarinet. And the bass clarinet, it turns out, I've mentioned it already before, this is going to be an important m- instrument in this opera comes to represent Brunhilde a lot of the time. And so it's no coincidence that leading into this scene three, which is going to be a very different character of scene from scene two, it's not going to be so much about Wotan's anger, but another feeling of Wotan's love that's going to be led into by the bass clarinet. So scene three, we also just have the characters of the other Valkyries have left and it's just Wotan and Brunhilde now. And the tenor has changed a little bit. I mean, Wotan is very upset, but he also, um, there's a, a ambiance, a feeling of love behind much of the music and much of the content of this scene. And so we start this scene hearing a new leitmotif over and over and over again. And I want us to listen very quickly to, to that leitmotif as it's introduced at the beginning of this, this last scene. So that kind of falling figure and then the big leap, that sounds like this. That is going to be a really important leitmotif, especially for this scene. We hear it over and over and over. It's called by some as love as fulfillment or something like that, but it's certainly a love motif, the love between father and daughter, Wotan and Brunhilde. Um, and so then we start this kind of long scene with Brunhilde and Wotan talking about why she actually disobeyed him. And she says that she did it out of, out of love. She knew that he loved Zygmunt and she could see it on his face, in his actions, all the way back from the beginning of Valkyrie, that he didn't actually want to strike down this hero of Zygmunt. This was what Fricka told him to do. And if you remember back, it's she's right. He didn't. Um, this was actually his kid with with a Velsung mortal woman. But of course, he didn't want to strike down his own kid. She saw that, and so she was. She's saying, you know, I I know what you really wanted, and I was just trying to do that. So a long scene like that. But we'll skip ahead and we'll listen to some important music as she says this line, long line, but. As for thee I held but the one in my eyes, when entrammeled wert thou by twofold desire, blindly thy back on him turning. She who in the field wards thy back from the foe, she saw now only what thou sawst not, Zygmund I beheld. Death doom I brought him there, I looked in his eyes, heard his lament. So she's talking about um, what, you know, what she what she did and why why she did that and the fact that she was doing it for for Votan she saw she was convinced by Zygmunt's bravery she saw in him what Votan also did and so she made the call to try to defend him despite Votan's orders and this is an important moment of the music so let's just uh listen to a little bit of that Brothers, 
right. So first there, if you listen closely to Brunhilde's, what she's singing, we hear a couple of times this... This destiny motif. And then we also hear her sing this motif, which we're, we're, we've heard before. This is kind of the relinquishment, we might call it, motif, or the giving yourself up to, to fate. So she saw, this is kind of the tragic, she saw on Zygmunt's face his distress, but also his heroism. And so there's these elements of destiny that he was going to be struck down, and also the, the relinquishment to the power of of destiny that there's this suggestion while she's singing this that her acts were kind of in vain because this was faded. One of the powerful uses of leitmotifs to to not contradict what's being said but to offer some extra kind of verbal purely musical commentary on what's what's going on. So then we skip ahead a little bit and she says uh, a little bit later she says he who this love into my heart had breathed whose will had placed the Velsung at my side, true only to him, thy word I did defy. So this is the key line. You know, I I was standing right there next to Zygmunt, and uh, I, I love you so much that in my love I defied your word because I knew that you loved Zygmunt so much too. And we hear more in, in this moment of this kind of love as fulfillment motif that we've heard already at the beginning of this scene. So let's hear this important line that Brunhilde sings in the middle of this scene. So there we get some incredibly passionate music. And I want to show you one thing. There's so many instances of this throughout. We've already seen a few. But a really cool element of this leitmotif, this kind of love as the opposite, the, antith- the antithesis to this, um, to Votan's kind of blunt justice, his will, his the domineering aspect of his personality, all of the reasons why he's so mad and love as the antidote or antithesis or opposite or something of that whole concept. And if we really listen to that love motif closely, it goes like, we heard it there, it goes like this. Now, we have that big leap in the middle of that melody, but if we just took that leap leap out and played the same notes, it would sound like this.
keeps going. So it's this descending, what we might call scale. And the rhythm also is. It kind of has that march, lilt-like quality. It's just slower. Now, if you have an incredibly keen musical ear, what you will notice is that this is just a variant of... Votan Spear. So these two motifs are intimately linked inextricably linked to each other, but they represent the kind of diametrical opposites of concepts that are at battle in this, this piece. And it's one of the geniuses of, of Wagner in creating these leitmotifs is that he's transformed Wotan's spear into this love as fulfillment motif. And they're linked in this musical way as well as kind of opposed but also linked in the content of the plot. So let's skip a little bit ahead. I love that. It's such a cool uh, transformation. But let's skip a little bit ahead to another important line, the line, From thee rose a glorious race, the race that never should bring forth a craven, the bravest of heroes, I know it, shall bless the Velsung's line. So a couple things about this line. So first, she's talking about Siegfried and the fact that Wotan has been the kind of patriarch of this important race, the race of the Velsungs that's going to produce this hero of Siegfried. Now, this is a moment where we haven't really touched on it very much at all, but there are a couple key moments in Wagner where it's important to touch on these elements of of race, anti-Semitism, kind of his political beliefs. And I think it would not be um, inappropriate or necessarily even wrong to point to a moment like this in the opera from thee rose a glorious race the that race that should never bring forth a craven the bravest of heroes to look at Wagner's kind of I mean there's there's been interpretations of Siegfried as this kind of Aryan hero and whether you subscribe to those or not I mean this is a very concerning type of line from from Wagner and a line in which you you might think, given everything else that we know about him, that this is kind of a pan-Germanist or anti-Semitic early seeds of Aryanism type of line. And so when you listen to stuff like this, um, if it gives you the pit in your stomach, that's not uh, unwarranted because I think there are moments like this in the plot where you can, it's, it's hard to to see past the kind of overtness of, of a line like that and not hear Wagner's political voice coming into the opera. So in any case, don't want to skirt over that because it's, it's definitely a, an element of, of what's going on here and an element of what Siegfried will, will represent probably. But in any case, it's also an important musical line. And so let's listen to when this line is sung by Brynhilde because we have a couple of very important motifs. Ich weiß es, entblüht die Welt, 
So first, when she is talking about the Velsungs and the race that he is has created, we hear this motif. Which, as you'll remember, we heard originally in a very slow form. This is the kind of fate of the Velsungs motif. They're fated to peril, to doom. Um, but then we also hear this motif when she's singing about uh, this hero that that the bravest of heroes that shall bless the Velsung's line, and she sings. So again, that's our Siegfried motif. And here's one of, I, I, this is one of the dangers of Wagner, why people often call Wagner an almost seductive composer, is because, I mean, this is such great music, and even just that little passage, you listen to it, it, it gets you so inspired, so motivated, and points potentially to the dangers of of music in the sense that, you know, you listen to that and you focus only on the music and it's incredible music. And if you conflate that with the line that's being sung, then suddenly you're, you're buying into something that is being put forth from the stage that's extra musical and you're doing so as a result of the, the real power of an incredible composer. And so... It's one of the dangers, I think, in listening to Wagner, but it's, uh, it's good to think about, important to point it out in any case, and this is one of those moments. But So Brunhilde knows that um, Zieglinda is carrying a hero, that's what she's saying, and she also still has the shards of the sword, which Wotan thinks he has destroyed. And so Brunhilde knows that, that Zieglinda still has the sword. Wotan does not actually know that. She kind of says that in an aside so then we skip ahead just a little bit and Wotan tells her what her ultimate punishment is going to be, which is going to be, she's going to be put in this magic sleep on top of a mountain. Really dramatic punishment. Uh, again, interesting uh, parenting style here from Wotan to punish. It's like the ultimate uh, Norse god version of grounding someone. You're going to be put in a magic sleep on top of a mountain. So in any case, he announces that this is what's going to happen, and we hear a couple of sleep motifs that are going to be important in this scene, but also uh, for the rest of the, the opera. And so let's listen to this moment where he says he's going to put her into a magic sleep. So that slippery sliding scale that goes down. Is this sleep motif in the mirror. This other kind of oscillating motif, which also is a sort of, there's two kind of magic sleep motifs that we often hear in conjunction that represents this magic sleep of Brunhilde. And so we hear that as he announces that he's going to put her in this magic sleep. So Brunhilde begs him, so, you know, you're grounding me, Dad. Well, let me get a couple of privileges. And the privilege that I want is for you to allow a hero to come and rescue me. So please encircle me with magic fire and only allow 
a hero to come break through the fire and and rescue me. So interesting demands from both sides. Um, not something that you see every day, being encircled by a ring of magic fire. But in any case, she asks for that. And then we come to the end of this last scene. And this is a, a moment called Votan's Farewell, one of the most famous stretches of music in the ring. And so we're going to listen to a big, long passage from Votan's Farewell now, um, where he says the important line, For one alone winneth the bride, one freer than I the god. And so remember, Votan has been alluding to this, that he needs a really true free mortal hero to kind of achieve what he can't achieve as a god, because there are all these strappings of being a god, like the fact that Fricka made him, you know, he can't manipulate things on earth. And so he needs this free hero. And so he alludes to that free hero as being the one person who can make it through this circle of magic fire and rescue Brunhilde. And this is a massive, in addition to saying this, he's also parting from his daughter and saying, you know, goodbye, daughter. I may never see you again because I'm stripping you of your mortal status. And it's a weird, it's a very weird scene because he's both, you're, you're thinking to yourself kind of, why is he doing this? He doesn't have to, but he's mad. He's clearly, he feels very mad, but he also loves her and... He feels, I guess, like it's his duty to punish her for what she's done because it's just you're not allowed to disobey your father. Um, pretty anachronistic. But in any case, he, he's conflicted and his conflict is represented in this incredibly passionate and uh, albeit kind of sad music. So let's listen to a big long clip where he says this line, Votan's farewell, because it's just incredible music and then we will talk about it. But this is one of the most famous orchestral interludes in the whole ring, some of the most passionate music Wagner ever wrote, so we should listen to to a nice stretch of it.
All right. So a couple very important things there. So obviously when he says this hero is going to come through the fire, we hear very triumphantly the Siegfried motif again. This much. We hear that, you know, massive brass sound playing this motif. And again, the power of the light motifs. We don't even know what this is going to represent yet, but we know this is the hero that he's alluding to. And then we come to that huge passionate music where we hear that love as fulfillment motif that we've heard many times in a kind of tender fashion, but the one that we showed was derived from Wotan's spear. And interestingly, just a tiny little music theory aside here for those who are interested, we have this massive arrival there, a massive arrival um, which you all probably heard that you, you arrive on this chord and it feels like the world has opened up. But interestingly, when you usually arrive on a chord like that, that's kind of conclusory and starting a new section and it's a big, big arrival, you do that in, um, so a chord, this, this is a, to take this example, an E major chord. And usually when you have an E major chord, you have an E in the bass voice. It sounds like this. It's got a nice grounded, harmonious feel, but the Wagner chose to do a very, very interesting thing here. This was, I don't know that this is the first time this was ever done, but this is the most notable time this has ever been done. And it's garnered its own name now, the kind of tonic 6-4 chord. We don't need to know the importance of this, but all I'll, the only reason I want to point this out is because it's, it's interesting even for those who are not so interested in music theory, because instead of having that note of E in the bass, he instead has a different note in the chord, this note of B. It's a small change, but what that actually results in is this feeling of lack of grounding or lack of arrival. And, you know, if we would normally do that in the context of music theory or something like that, that would be a chord that would lead somewhere else. And so there's this sense that there's this strong, strong sense, both from a, a purely theoretical perspective, but also the way that we hear this, that this is an incomplete arrival. This is not the conclusory end of the ring cycle. In fact, this is just the beginning and very intentional by Wagner to, to spell that chord that way and to put that B instead of an E in the bass because it gives this sense of, of buoyancy or this sense of moving onwards even in one of the most emotional passages in all of music. So it's a farewell, but it's not a conclusory farewell. There is much more to come and he says so just in the in one note in the bass. So in any case this goes on for a while and he starts he continues to sing about um, you know what's going to happen and the fact that a hero has to come through this circle of magic fire and then he actually has to set up the circle of of magic fire. He kind of sits there and looks at her for a while and admires her sleeping face and, and eyes and all of these things. He, he kind of looks on her face many times and, and kisses her. And um, But let's listen to an important, one more important line. He says, 
for so turns the God now from thee, so kisses thy, thy godhood away. So this is the moment where he, he kisses her and takes away her immortality. And let's listen to this line as well, some important motifs. So there again, we have our our destiny motif, that sinister sounding motif that goes like this. And then, so we know that there's there's some sort of fate that's going on and and, uh, in him condemning her to this fate. And this is this is, you know, not going to end up well. And then we hear this this sorrowful longing motif that if you remember is our renunciation of love motif all the way back from when when Alberic first renounced love to get this this ring it goes like this So there again in this most important moment is the notion that Wotan is renouncing his love for this ring or for the curse, the these things that have been set in motion from way back. And we get another very powerful moment of an important character renouncing love for one reason or another. In this case, a father renouncing the love of his, his daughter. And so really, really important moment, really important use of that motif. And then we close the scene, um, the act, the entire opera, which something that has been called the magic fire music. Uh, Wotan invokes the god of Loga, who we saw at the end of Das Rheingold, and indeed in most of Das Rheingold, this kind of cunning god, but also the god of fire. And he invokes him to come and and make this magic fire ring to encircle Brunhilde. And so we hear Loga's motif, the motif of fire. And as he asks Loga to uh, encircle Brunhilde, we also hear some very important motifs as well. So he kind of traces his spear around her in the spots that he wants the flames and flames shoot up. And he says, he who my spear points sharpness feareth shall not cross the flaming fire. So only people who are not afraid of Wotan's spear will be able to get through there, and that's only going to be one person. It's a very scary spear, I guess. I mean, it seems like it. Um, the music is very imposing, but in any case, let's listen to the very end here of... We won't listen to the entire end of the act. I highly recommend, if you're a Wagner fan, go and just listen to the last 20 minutes of Valkyrie, this Wotan's farewell section, because it's it's maybe the single best long stretch of music that Wagner wrote in the entire opera, but it ends with this magic fire music, and we'll listen to a little bit of that when he says, you know, he who is afraid of my spear will not cross this, this fire.
Right, so that kind of flickering, flashing music that you hear towards the very end is the fire music, that's Loga's music, but on top of that, of course, it's unmissable. An epic iteration of Siegfried's motif we hear to close this this opera of Valkyrie, and so there's a hint as to what's coming. The, the character of Siegfried, who is going to find a way to burst through this ring of fire and save Brunhilde, but that is way, way off in the future. We're going to end it there, our review of uh, Valkyrie and of the first half of the ring cycle. We've still got Siegfried and Götterdamerung to go, but keep an eye out for a special kind of interlude episode. In the meantime, uh, before we dive into Siegfried, I want to look at um, something related to the ring, but something that's also very cool use of, of leitmotif. So we will have a bonus episode for you here in a couple of days and then pick right back up with our uh, Act 1 breakdown of Siegfried. We're really getting into it now, and I uh, hope you're getting a feel for these leitmotifs, their incredible power, their incredible construction, and uh, I hope you're enjoying these breakdowns, watching a little bit, maybe watching a little bit of the ring cycle yourself, pulling up a video on YouTube and, and seeing it for yourself or, or going and listening to something like Votan's Farewell. So with that, I will say farewell for today, and, and we'll be back soon. Thanks, as always, for joining us, and we will see you back in a few days. Bye.